Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Well, there aren't many atmospheric events that have their own museums dedicated to them. You don't have a Los Angeles smog museum, as far as I know, or even a Chicago fog museum. But there is a Denora smog museum. And the reason is, it was a very significant and tragic event back in 1948. Coming up on December 14th, that is this coming Wednesday, as you're hearing this, the Group Against Smog and Pollution is going to have an online event to discuss the Denora smog, the history of it, and some of the lessons that were learned from that event back in 1948. One of the speakers is Scott Beveridge. He's an award-winning investigative journalist, recently retired from the Observer Reporter newspaper in Washington County. He's also a lifelong resident, I believe, of the Denora area, who uncovered some new details about the disaster and its fallout. Good morning, Scott. Hey, good morning, Jason. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking some time to uh, talk with us this morning. Well, I'm more than happy to. Yeah, Tell us a little bit. We'll give more details for folks if they want to sign up for this event. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell them some more details in, in just a moment or two. But tell us first, what was the, the Denora smog and, and why was it different from the, the normal everyday smoky events that, that we have in the Mon Valley or that we were used to in the 40s, 50s, 60s? Well, it was a Halloween weekend of 1948 when a, uh, when a uh, strange um, temperature inversion, well, it wasn't really strange, but it was a really strong and uh, basically it's fog. And um, it trapped um, the pollution from um, from everything, actually. But the zinc mill was the primary suspect of U.S. steel, and the, it, it, it created a ceiling and wouldn't let the air move out. So over a, a three- or four-day weekend, it killed 20 people and sickened thousands of others. I mean, the hospitals were full. The funeral homes were running out of caskets. And um, it wasn't until a, a rain moved in that... Um, cleared the air and you know there were s- several other people who died in the days and weeks to follow but those deaths were never uh, attributed to the to the smog event uh, tell us first of all about denora uh where it is and and you you, you alluded to the zinc works the u.s steel uh, zinc plant there T- tell us a little bit about uh, the town of denora in the 1940s well denora grew up um almost overnight and it, it so many people came there to work in their steel mill that uh, there was a housing shortage, and it, it was just, uh, I think there were probably like 15,000, 17,000 people there. And um, it, the whole town was dependent on U.S. Steel and the mills and, um, and until, until 1948, and that changed everything. It, about how far is it from, from Pittsburgh? For our listeners who are in the McKeesport area or the Pittsburgh area, about how far is it away from Pittsburgh? I think it's about 33 miles south of Pittsburgh on the Monongahela River. And not it's too far from, County. from from Manesson and Charleroi and, and all those towns. And they're kind right, of on the right. bends, the bends in the River Valley. Yes. Okay. Well, and my family lived across the river in a little village called Webster. And um, my grandparents' home was in the direct line of attack from the way that the winds blew the pollution 
across the river. And Webster actually suffered like probably the worst, the worst catastrophe of, of anywhere else in that area because it, it killed all the vegetation. There wasn't any topsoil. Uh, there were very few trees. There weren't any flowers or birds or, you know, I mean, it was just pretty much a dead zone. So the Denora Zinc Works, which was owned by uh, U.S. Steel, and it's 1948. It's after World War II. So obviously World War II were busy times for all of the steel mills up and down the Pittsburgh River Valleys. The, the Denora yes. Mill, after uh, World War II, everybody's got money in their pocket because of the war. Everybody has returned from the Army. And a lot of industries, I'm assuming, including that U.S. Steel plant, are, are running flat out at that point. What, when you say they made zinc, what, what does that mean, they made Zinc. I thought zinc was an element. Well, it, it was a smelter, a spelter, smelter. I'm, and uh, you know they used to use zinc to, to cover nails okay. and to line bathtubs, metal bathtubs. And, but you know that that particular mill made um, armor to bulletproof tanks and such. So I mean, and then there was also this vague subs- description of whatever else may, we may need to produce here. So. Uh, to this day, nobody really knows what was in that air that weekend or any okay. other day of the week. So, um, yeah. So, so, so how about, about it, how many about how many people worked there? Well, it varied. You know, I mean, it, it was it, it was you know during the height, it was like more than probably more than ten thousand, and then after you know it trickled down as like most other mills did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking with Scott Beveridge. He uh-huh. is one of the people who's going to be speaking uh, on December 14th. That's this coming Wednesday at a virtual event that is being put on by the group against smog and pollution to discuss the history of the Denora smog and the lessons that were learned from it. You can find out more information by going to gasp-pgh.org. That's G-A-S-P-pgh.org. Mark uh, Powellick, is that how that's pronounced, Scott? And Brian Paul Pollock, Paul, Mark Pollock, and Brian Carlton from the uh, Denora Smog Museum uh, will also be on that panel discussion. Also, Miranda Fullerton, who is a meteorologist from the National Weather Service. It's going to be about a ninety-minute program. It is online. It is a free event being organized uh, by GASP. Um, so, October thirty-first, paint the picture for me. It was Halloween weekend, and I believe I remember reading somewhere that there was a football game. There was a high school football game that weekend, was there not? Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, over the years, there have been so many mis, um, inaccurate reports about that weekend. Okay. And those reports were, um, you know, they were picked up by every major news organization. And I even reported on them without question. I, I, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was kind of surprising to me. But anyway, my grandparents, they, they formed a group called the Webster Society for Better Living. Okay. And it probably was one of the first, like, official air pollution, um, anti-air pollution groups to, to actually form and be chartered in the United States. And um, my grandparents attended those meetings, but I never, nobody ever talked about that smog when I was growing up. There was just too many hard feelings about it. And um, I, one day I was, was working for the Observer Reporter and I was in the federal courthouse and I had some time to kill. So I went to the clerk of, clerk of court's office to see what records were there, and there was just like index cards of everybody who filed suits, and there were, there were a lot of, but my grandparents were not one of them. And, um, but so I, I, they said that the case files were in uh, the Philadelphia archives, so I, I took some time off and drove out to the archives, and I, I copied as many of the files that I could. There were just too many. I mean, yeah. it was un- unbelievable. But I, I did uncover some very important things. First of all, they were never sealed, ever. And um, the other myth was that 
You mean oh, so, so wait, let me let me go back for a second. So the the myth in the valley was that the court records were sealed, and that you know, the it public couldn't look at them. It was reported in the it was reported in the Pittsburgh newspapers, the New York Times, the Washington Post. I mean, everybody reported that they were sealed, and, and they no, were never the sealed. Okay, no. So um, and then the other thing was that people didn't the settlements that people didn't get much money, and that that wasn't exactly in, in, in correct either, and. The other big one was that the company never accepted responsibility for the damages. Well, in each and every settlement that I saw and copied, there was one sentence in there that said U.S. Steel accepts responsibility for the damages. So, um, you know, um, and so I, I decided to go through the back issues of um, the Delora newspaper and that that football game. Nobody went to it. You couldn't you couldn't see in front of your face. Why would you go to a football <laughs> game? You know? So when did this when and did so, the, you know, when did the smog start to settle in? You mentioned an Aaron version. We have a thirty second break coming up here, but before we take it, wh- when did this when did things start to get bad? When did this Aaron version settle in? And when did this smog start to settle in? Well, it was Halloween week. I'm not sure what day Halloween was, but okay. it, it was like a day or two later when the when a rain moved in and it cleared the air. Um, so, but what, I mean, what did people? Heavy did people, fogs are very common. Okay, did it did it happen quickly though, or was it a gradual thing over a couple of days, or did it happen like an overnight period? I think it was. I think it was pretty. I think it was one day. Yeah. Let's let's pause there. Let's take our thirty second break. When we come back, let's pick the story up as to when people started to realize, hey, this is not the normal pollution that we've grown to tolerate this is something else okay okay uh, scott beveridge is our guest this morning we're talking about the denora smog which happened 74 years ago the group against smog and pollution gasp is going to hold an event on december 14th with historians from the denora smog museum uh, a meteorologist from the national weather service and scott who is a retired journalist from the observer reporter newspaper and a longtime resident of the denora webster area you can find out more information by going to gasp-pgh.org Broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes on Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 and 101.1 WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, and Tube City Online Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at Striffler's.com or call 4 one two six seven eight six one nine one. The panel discussion is coming up at six thirty p.m. on December fourteenth. It is being held by the group against smog and pollution. That's GASP. Uh, it is free. It will include Scott Breveridge, a longtime resident of the Denora area, retired investigative journalist from the Observer Reporter newspaper in Washington. Amanda Galuli from GASP, which is the group against smog and pollution in Pittsburgh. She used to work with me at the Observer Reporter, and she and I both sifted through all those documents I brought back to write a special report about them. And um, you said so it was, you said it was thousands. Wanted, you said it was thousands and thousands of files. How many did you end up bringing back? Oh, about a hundred. Okay. Okay. And, uh, so, but she also. I'm almost speaking because. I, I grew up in Webster. We moved there to my grandmother's house in 1960, so I never really breathed the air. But I, I, I experienced living in a, in an environmental catastrophe where it, it was just 
incredibly sad how much damage that that had done that pollution had done to that town you, you said before and, the but break, it was also it killed, all, it killed all the vegetation you said before the break yeah 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 but it was also an exciting landscape for a, a boy i mean it was you know it was um very very cool place to explore <laughs> but um and then um i'm going to segue into what what we found in those documents and what what we did find was that there were more people who died than what was officially uh, noted in the record. I think Amanda found 28 deaths. And, um, you know, it also killed uh, um, livestock, horses, cows. I mean, it was, you know, not just the smog, but the entire experience of that, of that pollution. Now, you, meant, and, you, you uh, mentioned that one of, one of the myths that I had been taught and, and that you have debunked now was that there was a high school football game that Friday night and they couldn't see what was happening on the field. You said nobody went to a high school football game. They couldn't breathe. Yeah, it was, I mean, the newspaper articles, it, it, it was sparsely attended. And then there was also a Halloween parade for the kids and, every, you know, the parade went on and, and then it didn't. The, the local chamber of commerce had to figure out some other way to give away the prizes that because nobody showed up how, and, how, I mean, you know a lot of the myths were people used to to smog or pollution i mean growing up in mckeesport you, you heard stories about oh the air was so dark you couldn't see that they had to put the street lights on they had to put the headlights on you know you couldn't hang laundry out because it would get dirty those, those kinds of things but so were people in the north used to used to the pollution well, I mean, they, it was it was the cash cow. They the, the money yeah. was you know the stores, but uh, a lot of the myths try to seem to paint the people in that area as being so stupid that they didn't realize there was a problem, and then that just was not the case. I mean, people knew as early as the year that place opened in 1915 that 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 air was foul, and um, that I think that was right around the same time the first lawsuit was filed. Okay, filed. Oh, as far back as and, 1915. Um, Fifteen, yeah, yeah, that's when it opened. Yeah, as far back as then, it people. wasn't open very long. Yeah, yeah, people would get headaches, and you know, it was uh, it was nasty. What what was in the zinc smoke? Uh, you you said that to, to this day they're not entirely sure what they were doing that weekend. That 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 what can what, but what kind of poisons are in that smoke that would were making people sick? Well, you know, I, I think I think a lot of it is that it's just theory. I mean, I, I the um. The one, the one predominant uh, chemical was fluoride. You know, if, if you get the right amount, it's good for your teeth. But if you get too much of it, it destroys your teeth. Uh-huh. And um, you know, there was a there was a scientist who came to Denora after the smog. Uh, his name was Philip Sattler, and he noticed fluoride um, damage to people's teeth immediately after he stepped off the train. Wow! And uh, but you know, I I don't know. I mean, you know, the 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 other the other thing is that you know it was rather long held belief was that that nobody knew nobody knew what was in the air. But the the documents in the court records showed that there were test samples taken immediately, and that they were examined by you know some of the top scientists in the country, including your alma mater, and or a foundation that was affiliated with them, and. Um, uh, so they knew, you know, they knew what was in the air. The company did. And um, there was one really important court document in that file that I found that was like a, um, you know, a, a, it was a 
court stenographer's report of a, of a hearing that was held. And the attorney for the people in the, you know, the town had discovered all of these reports and, um, that he hadn't seen them. <laughs> and he asked the company in discovery to turn, turn them over. And the judge ruled that he wasn't going to order them to turn them over immediately. But if going into the trial, if the testimony revealed that they were needed, that he would tell U.S. Steel to, to turn them over. Okay. And then that, and not too long after that, the settlements flew. <laughs> and so it's the, funny, you know, funny, the how, funny how that worked, huh? Yes. And then, you know, the, I, I don't think that people in that town, they were so angry about that pollution that I don't think they would have settled if the company would have not said that it, it caused that problem. But like I said, to this day, we still don't know what was in that air. You you mentioned and, that, that the hospitals filled up because I, I believe there was a hospital in Denora. There was a hospital in Shalleroy. There was a hospital in Monongahela. All, all the towns down there had Brownsville. All the, the all these towns had hospitals of their own. Uh, what what were people reporting? The, uh, asthma attacks, um, coughing? Yeah, what, yeah. What, what kind of things? They couldn't breathe. They couldn't breathe. Yeah. Heart attacks? Yeah, my, I mean, grandmother went, my grandmother went into her basement to try to get air and the family family thinks that she had her first heart attack that weekend, you know, and ultimately she did die within 10 years. But, you know, who knows? I, I, I just, you know, it, it just the air was awful. But, you know, the coal from people's homes, everybody had coal furnace, too. Sure. That was all part of it. So, so people are showing up uh, Halloween weekend, 1948, at, at the hospitals in, in Denora and the surrounding area. They can't breathe. They're having heart trouble. They're having lung trouble. Probably their eyes are, are watering, stinging, too. When, when did word – I, I mean, you, you said one of the myths is that people in Denora didn't know they were getting sick. They knew they were getting sick. When did word get to the outside world, to, to Pittsburgh and, and Washington, Greensburg, Harrisburg? that there was something terribly wrong going on in Denora? Well, you know, the local newspaper in Denora got scooped on the story. Oh, how so? <laughs> but it really didn't have the story until several days later. But, um, you know, the, the, the mill bosses controlled that whole town. So, I mean, who knows? But uh, that uh, there was, Jason, I can't remember his name, but there was one radio host, and you probably would know his name. He was the one who broke the story. This and, was someone in, in Pittsburgh? Yeah, he, no, I think he was a national syndicate. Okay, I that he, okay. He, he broke the story, and, and then it quickly was picked up all over the place. I mean, people in, in one of the southern states <laughs> offered um, a certain amount of money to host an, uh, people from Denora to come to their state to get some fresh rest, air, relaxation. There, yeah, yeah. But so, so, so it, it so, was a big story. So, so, but but for a while, the mill bosses in the in the Midmont Valley. You say tried to keep it out of the papers and tried to keep a little. Well, I don't know if there's any. I don't know if there's any evidence that that's true. But I mean, it it, it was it was interesting that the Denora paper didn't have the story first. You know, <laughs> we're talking with Scott Beveridge. I think, they, I, think, yeah. I think the Monongahela paper had it before Denora. <laughs> We're talking with Scott Beveridge. He is an award-winning investigative journalist, recently retired from the Observer Reporter in Washington. He's going to be one of the panelists at an event coming up on Wednesday at 6.30, hosted by the Group Against Smog and Pollution. Mark Pollock and Brian Carlton from the Donora Smog Museum also will be participating, along with Miranda Fullerton. She's a meteorologist for the National Weather Service. And talking about the Donora Smog Disaster of 1948. It happened 74 years ago uh, for Halloween. And um, we have another break to come up with uh, to, to, to take care of here, Scott. But when we come back, let's talk about how this Denora smog event and, and the aftermath helped kick off uh, the events that led to the Clean Air Act, okay? Okay. 
To register for this online event, which is free, go to gasp-pgh.org. That's gasp-pgh.org. From the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, and we'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. This is a Tube City Almanac, Tube City Online Community Event Announcement. Vince Guerrieri says, hey, my boy is looking for writers in the Mon Valley. Tube City Almanac, a nonprofit news website focused on the McKeesport area, is in need of freelance writers to help cover the city of Duquesne, McKeesport area schools, Duquesne schools, and White Oak Borough. We pay money and everything. Back for a few more minutes with Scott Beveridge. He's one of the panelists who's going to be part of a discussion of the Donora smog disaster of 1948. Officially, 28 people uh, died, but unofficially, Scott, you said you think the, the number is much higher than that. Yes. You know, Jason, I, like I said, I grew up in Webster, which was directly across the river from the Donora Mills. And um, I never heard of this Donora smog until I got to college. And I mean, I was, that was just incredible wow. when I was in this class. And like, wow, what, huh? And so uh, I, over the years, I've just come to realize that, you know, it pitted that, that, whole, uh, that whole event pitted neighbor against neighbor and nobody wanted to nobody wanted to talk about it and uh nobody wanted anyone to know how much money they profited from the, the lawsuit and so uh there just were so many hard feelings that we created as a result of that and uh so then i i ended up being assigned to write about it at the newspaper i think it was the 50th anniversary and so I, I dug deep into the story, and I've I've written extensively about it ever since. Then it's a fascinating story. If you Google Denora Smog, there's so many so many results. And you know, as far as the Denora Smog Museum, people from all over the world go there to uh, to visit. And then, of course, you know the uh, the whole topic of climate change has has you know intensified the interest in it, especially in countries like China. You know where there's also similar problems. And, uh, when did the, the U.S. Know, Steel, the, 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 the facility that, that was blamed, and as you said, U.S. Steel accepted the blame uh, in these lawsuits that it settled following this disaster in 1948. When did this mill in Donora close? Did it ever reopen after well, this? Well, the, the, um, the sink mill continued until 1950. 57, 55, I okay. think it's 57. Okay. And the, the blast furnaces for the steel mill, they, they, they were shut down before 1960 and they never, they were never turned, turned back on. And in a relatively short amount of time that, that was all torn down, you know, and turned over to, uh, to, uh, Washington County and developers to, uh, attract new industry there. What, what happened? The number of jobs. What ha- then happened to the borough of Donora? What, hap- what has happened to the borough of Donora since then? Oh, it's declined. It's just you know, it's it's a mess. It's like all. It's like most of the Rust Belt. You know, it's no different than Brownsville, Manesson. I think you have problems in McKeesport as well. You know. Yeah. Uh, With the light. Let's let's talk about the, the the clean air laws because, as you mentioned, you you dug in and and learned that. U.S. Steel settled hundreds of, of lawsuits, um, federal lawsuits uh, regarding this. How did this lead to more clean air laws? We were starting to see in the 1940s in Pittsburgh, there were smoke abatement laws, they called them at the time. But but how did it lead to, to tighter regulations on what could be put into the, to the air we breathe? 
Well, the story never died. You know, it was always getting attention. And then, of course, the, there was a similar smog in, in London that it, it was actually, if you watch the movie, the series The Crown, it, it come, Denora's comes up in that story. And there was a lawmaker from New England, and I, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he sort of championed this whole uh, debate about clean air in, in Congress. And so, uh, you know, that's what was what, the, what they referred to as the impetus for clean air legislation. And then, of course, there was something in Los Angeles, too. You know, it was people... People were becoming more and more aware of, you know, what was in the air and what we breathe. And then, you know, they all started putting these uh, pollution control things on all these smokestack industries. And, of course, that was also used to blame the federal government for closing down these industries. Is that still – is that something you still hear from folks around, you know, Denora, Manessa, and Chalaroy, that, that these clean air laws – did more harm than good. I, I used to hear well, when I was no, no. when I was a kid. You used to hear, "Oh, that smoke meant money." That that smoke looks like money yes. to me is what the old timers used to say. Yes, but you know, I mean, it, there were it, it was a combination of many many reasons that led to the demise of of steel. And one of one of the big ones, Jason, was that the, the way the mining industry was carried out at that time, the the, the reserves were all depleted. I mean, the, in Pittsburgh, southwestern Pennsylvania. The underground mines are all are all uh, filled with water. Yeah, <laughs> there was yes. Yeah, and then you also need iron ore, and there, you know, I mean, the the resources were just depleted. Yeah. And then you know, of course, there were you know union problems, and there, there was a there was a Pennsylvania railroad strike uh, in the fifties, and I interviewed one of the metallurgists at the mill many years ago, and he told me that. When the Denora Southern Railroad, which you know su- supplied the mill, they decided to honor the pickets and they walked off the job too. And when that happened, there was a train of uh, equipment to upgrade Denora's steel mill. And when the strike happened, the company turned that train around and took the took the equipment somewhere else. And that was the end of Denora. We are coming short to the end of the half hour, so we're running out of time. But let let me ask you this: you you alluded to that there's a Denora Smog Museum that people can visit now, and you said there are people from all over the world, including China and the developing world, where they have some of these same some of the pictures out of some of the industrial cities in China are, are horrifying of of people. You know, it's it is literally what we heard about Pittsburgh in the 1920s and 30s. People wearing masks over their face. The the sky is is dark in the middle of the day. The streetlights are on. What what kind of lessons can people learn by going to the Denora Smog Museum? What are the what are the takeaways if if they go down there or if they go to the uh, event that you're going to be speaking at next week? Well, you know the Denora Smog Museum is a wonderful it's a wonderful place, and it's it's um I, I just think people come there to see mostly the photographs of what what the area looked like and what what was going on and and, and you know. The one thing that's not a myth, most of the documents from that from that smog have all disappeared. I mean, you know, the the, the federal government never put out a they put out a preliminary report, but they never did a final report. And there there was a um, a woman named Lynn, Lynn Page Snyder who came to Denora in the nineties, and she did her her thesis, her dissertation for grad school. She worked for the U.S. Department of Health, and she you know the re- records at the Department of Health were all gone too. I mean, so. It, it would almost seem like there was a, 
an effort to kind of make it go away, you know. Uh, but thanks to your work and the work of the Donora Smog Museum, uh, it hasn't gone away, and it probably there's more interest now than ever. The, the panel discussion is coming up at 6.30 p.m. on December 14th. It is being held by the Group Against Smog and Pollution. That's GASP. Uh, it is free. It will include Mark Pollock from uh, Mark Pollock and Brian Carlton from the Donora Smog Museum, Miranda Fullerton, who is a meteorologist from the National Weather Service, and Scott Breveridge, a longtime resident of the Donora area, retired investigative journalist from the Observer Reporter newspaper in Washington, uh, who has helped uncover some new details about the disaster. It is a free event, but like I said, you do need to register in advance. Go to gasp-pgh.org to register. That's coming up on December 14th. Scott, uh, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us this morning. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you, and thank you all for listening this week. The Two Rivers Thirty Minutes broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport on Radio eighty one WEDO fifteen fifty and one hundred one point one WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, and Tube City Online Radio. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers Thirty Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.